Good morning. Did you hear what John did at the beginning of the service? He did that thing that sports announcers do, and when you hear it, you always think, oh, I wish they hadn't have said that. He said something like, you know, he hasn't missed a kick all year. Or a golf announcer might say, he hasn't hit a ball in the water all day. John uh, said this morning that we're going to hear a great word preached. He had heard me at 8 o'clock. And so when I heard him say that, I just kind of went, oh, my gosh. You know, Lord, as part of this sermon. So let me pray to get rid of some of this anxiety. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come like a mighty rushing wind. Fall, Spirit of God. Fall on this place. Inhabit our hearts. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Morning. Good morning, good morning. It's great. The Lord's given us another day. We will rejoice and give thanks in it. It's great to be here at St. Paul's. I was at St. Timothy's last night and invited a friend to preach, and he preached on the book of James. And it was a mighty preaching, and I found myself this morning when I woke up thinking, I wish Rob was preaching again today. I, uh, it was so powerful. He did such an amazing job bringing us some good news out of the book of James. And I'll, I'll use a bit of what Rob said at the very end this morning. But as I prepared this week to preach the gospel, I, um, I couldn't shake this one question. And from time to time, you've probably heard me ask this question from up here. It's, it's a simple one. This, this week it sounds like this. When was the last time we wanted something? When was the last time we wanted something and we didn't get it? Think about it for a second. You heard me talking about a silly iPhone uh, that I lusted after and turned into an idol, and now I have. Um, but when was the last time we really wanted something and we didn't get it? I think for some of us, it's probably a short list of things, and maybe for some of us, there's nothing you can think of that you didn't want that you haven't gotten. It's because we live in a very affluent culture. We live in a very needs-oriented culture. It, it produces needs for us, and, and um, we can go get, generally, whatever we need. And I think that's the word I want you to hear this morning, or at least the word the Lord gave me to bring to you this morning, is that as Christians, we are needy people. I know that doesn't sit well in this culture, especially in this society. We've all got bootstraps, right? We've all got bootstraps. We need to grab our bootstraps and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get out there and make a difference and be independent and stand on our own two feet. We've heard those kinds of things over and over and over in our life, right? You know, your parents, we've, we've heard those things. That's not the message of Christianity. It's not a bootstrap religion. It's not. It's a religion of need. Everywhere Jesus goes, generally, he'll ask somebody for something. He's a needy guy. He doesn't need anything. But he's in, he, he displays what it means to have to ask people for help, to have to ask people into our lives. And so if we read this, if we hear this gospel today, and we make one huge mistake that I'm going to talk about, we miss the entire point of this message. We miss the entire point. Because what I want to ask is, who are we in the gospel story? Who are we? Are we Jesus? Are we a rabbi? Are we a Jew? Do we have a beard? Um, are, are we Jesus? Is that who we identify with when we hear this story about him coming? Once again, he's separating himself. You know, we've heard for three weeks now how Jesus in chapter 6 and now in chapter 7 trying to avoid the crowds. Well, this time, folks, he avoids them by going into a land where most rabbis shouldn't go. These are the unclean people. These are the Gentiles. These are the unwashed. But that's where he's headed. And no sooner does he get to this place and tell everybody, don't tell them I'm here, 
Then a woman comes up to him, this woman who's got a demon-possessed child, this Syrophoenician woman, this Greek. Later in the story we heard Jesus left there, and he went a little further south to the Decapolis, picture Las Vegas. He's wandering around there. No good Jewish rabbi would go there. Wouldn't walk through those streets and let the dust of the Decapolis get on your robe if you were a good Jewish rabbi. But here he goes, and this time he encounters a man. Did you catch that? In this story, we hear about a Gentile woman. We hear about a Gentile man. The complete image of God. Man and woman, right there. We get them both, and we get them in Gentile form. And so what the underlying current of this gospel is, is that Jesus came to save first the house of Jerusalem, the house of Israel. He is on a mission, like the Blues Brothers, that old movie with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, we're on a mission from God. Jesus is on a mission from God. And part number one of the mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. Part number one of the missions to the lost sheep of Israel. Part number two is to the Gentiles and the rest of the world. So are we Jesus in this? I don't think so. I think you all would agree, no, no, Gary, we're not Jesus. We're the disciples, right? We're the disciples. Because we know on this side of the cross, because we're in post-resurrection times, we believe, we're showing up at church for heaven's sakes, we believe, right? So here we are on this side of the cross with Romans 5, 8 buried in our heads. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're believers. We believe Jesus. We're standing right next to him, I imagine, in the gospel. You know, we've got our hands in our robe pockets, or maybe our hands folded across as this woman comes up, this unclean woman, and Jesus gives her those hard-to-hear words, right? When, he, when she asks for his help, what does he say? He says it's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And we stand right there and go, yeah, Jesus, tell her. We believe, they don't believe, we believe, right? And it's, it's just impossible to hear that. What he's saying just for a brief moment of context, is that I have come for the house of Israel first, then to the Gentiles. You're getting ahead of the story, ma'am, is what he's essentially saying. Now, dog, in any language, is not good. And I've heard people even say, oh, don't worry, it wasn't a tough dog. They was the Greek. The Greek actually means puppy. Well, I don't think in the Middle East, or especially in this country, calling anybody a dog or a puppy is a compliment. You know what I mean? So it's still that Jesus is trying to explain to her in a crude way that I've come first to the house of Israel and then I've come to the people, to the Gentiles. So are we the disciples? Have we put ourselves mistakenly in the place of the disciples? Think about that for a second while I tell you this. When I was learning how to preach, some of you say I still need to keep learning. Um, when I was learning how to preach, my homiletics professor was, would, beat the, would beat the lectern if we didn't do a certain thing. And that was, good preaching was supposed to take people back and forth through the cross. Because we're at a disadvantage. We're on this side of the cross. And so we view everything from our perspective, which is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But in this story, brothers and sisters, in this story, the cross hasn't happened. It's not an event yet. It's not an event yet. And if we put ourselves in the place of Jesus, or if we put ourselves in the place of disciples, we miss the most impactful part of this story. So what I want to do this morning is, I want us to go back in time, before the cross, if we can imagine, and I want us to pretend we're there with Jesus and with the disciples. Because there are two positive things that can come out of this gospel. One is we hear it and we think, oh, great, Jesus is going to heal some people again. I love it when Jesus heals people. And we hurry to the end of the story. Or we feel sorry for the deaf and mute man or the woman whose daughter 
was possessed. But I want to put us back in that place. I want to put us back at that moment when he's talking to this first Gentile woman in Syrophoenicia. He's talking to a woman who has a need, right? And he calls her a dog. So if we're not Jesus, and we're not the disciples, we're left with that fact. We are the dogs. We're the dogs. I've been waiting all week to say this. Bishop Mark Lawrence, Father John, our new rector, Tripp, Gary, everybody at that moment that's not of the house of Israel is what? A dog. We're a dog. We're a dog. It's the second group of people that Jesus promised to come back and rescue. Remember the covenant, Israel first, then the rest. Then the rest. But remember, again, at that moment in the story, the cross hasn't happened, and so that's where we are. And I think when we hear it that way, and it makes us laugh or it makes us smile, it does what it's supposed to do. The gospel is doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not just allowing us to go, oh, Jesus heals, and oh, Jesus is merciful, and oh, thank God, he also included us Gentiles. But it does the most important thing. It reminds us that he did it first. He acted. We came needy. We came broken. We come unhealed. We come sin-stained. And he acts first. He comes into our life. It puts the cross back in its rightful place. That's why we come here Sunday after Sunday. It's not to remind the world that we've got our act together or that we know everything. It's to remind the world that we see ourselves as needy, needy people. I think it's kind of startling. I mean, it really is. When I, when I, when I stumbled onto it, I was like, wow, that's actually, I never thought of it. I thought I was one of the disciples. But the problem with thinking that way is we eliminate sin. We, we, we take sin out of the equation and we forget for a moment that the creation, and most importantly us, we needed it. So we can't become comfortable, church, we can't become comfortable with living life on this side of the cross as if it's all done. It's all packaged up and everything's okay and we're, we're going to move on in that. We are adopted sons and daughters. We, we are adopted sons and daughters. We are no longer dogs, those of us that believe. But um, we can't get comfortable. We can't get too comfortable with that. We have to remember this. One commentator says this about that gospel. What this gospel teaches is that whether Jew or Gentile, I'll say male or female, near to Jesus or far away, knowledgeable or neophyte, only the touch of Jesus, only the words of Jesus, only the spirit of Jesus can enable true hearing, true seeing, and true understanding. Imagine what it felt like for those two people. Imagine. This rabbi comes into town, he's not supposed to be there, and he does these miraculous things. Her faith actually sets him on his toes. He can't believe she said that. And he looks at her and says, your faith, those words that you said, it will be done for you as you've asked. Go home, your daughter's well. Can you imagine when she walked through the door? I bet she wasn't surprised. I bet she wasn't surprised. She knew who he was. She knew he was the king of kings. He wasn't one of the king of kings. He wasn't one of many. But she knew he was the prophesied Messiah. Or imagine the man. How weird was that? He's in a crowd of people. He's been mute and deaf since birth. Jesus removes him from the crowd. Seems like that's all he's doing, and Mark is trying to get away from the crowd. He removes him from the crowd. He spits in his hands. And then he touches the man's tongue with his hands. That's some weird stuff, folks. And the guy can hear, and the guy can talk. Think of how grateful 
he wouldn't be able to shut up about it, right? He wouldn't be able to shut up about it. It's, um, it's a joy or a gratitude that I wish we carried with us day in and day out. I wish we carried that gratitude. Because here's the coolest part. What Jesus did for those two people in the gospel is nothing, nothing compared to what he's done for us on this side of the cross. Those people are going to die one day. He's healed them, he's healed their daughter, but they're going to die. It's not until he goes to the cross, till his blood is poured out for everyone, that we actually get the greatest gift of all. Sure, it would be great if everybody we knew who had cancer got healed. Sure, it would be great if marriages always got repaired. But the best thing he does is he assures us that in the future, it will all be set right. It will all be set right. He does for us and does for them on this side of the cross something even better than giving them voice or healing their daughter. What happens is we come to church week in and week out and we begin to get in a religious groove and we begin to think about all of the other things that go along with what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what James talks about. I wish we could read James right here. But what James talks about is the law. But the law James talks about is the law of love. It's the royal law, he calls it. The royal law. And the royal law of love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we come week in and week out, and we begin to believe somewhere in the back of our heads that, oh, there's some things we've got to do. There are some things we've got to do if we're going to follow Jesus. And there are. We have to do the food program next week, right? I love doing the food program. We have to do AA on this campus. We have to do Meals on Wheels. Those are great, great expressions of God's love for the community. I'm not knocking any of those things. But if we do them with the wrong hearts, like we say over and over again, then they're worthless. Here's the coolest part about what we have to do. James tells us that the law of love, the law that we have to keep, is that we have to love one another. So, you're going to leave here in just a few minutes. And if you don't remember anything except Gary called us dogs, um, if you're sitting there at lunch and you remember, oh, you know what? That crazy guy called us dogs, didn't he? Yeah. Um, remember this. Remember how it must have felt to be one of those two characters in the gospel that either had their daughter healed or had their own infirmity healed. Remember how grateful they must have been. And then just stay right there. Stay right there in that gratitude. And remember what James says, because John's going to commission us at the end of the service and send us out to do the work Christ has given us to do. Here is the work. Are you ready? Love one another. That's the work. That's the primary work. Love one another. It's not easy all the time. Anyway, it's, I'm looking at one of my neighbors. He's probably looking at me going, yeah, Gary, you ought to see his yard. He's not that easy to love. I mean, that's the work. Love one another. It's not more complicated than that. That is the work that we are to do. He's gone to the grave. He's defeated death. We are taken up in new life and baptism. So we were at all times, at one time, all dogs. We were. Now, no more, we're adopted sons and daughters. Ephesians tells us that. It's Ephesians 3, 5. He predestined us for adoption. He wasn't content to leave us as dogs. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He came to us in our sinfulness. So let's be grateful for the cross. Let's be grateful that we stand on this side, but let's don't ever forget that we were at one time, like all the other Gentiles, in need of a rescuing God, in need of a rescuing Savior, who hands us this law that's actually beautiful. 
love one another. Amen. Amen.